So the three acts of kindness, you know, I've read so many books on spirituality. When I was young, I grew up a martial artist and I was really interested in enlightenment, consciousness, lucid dreaming, astral projection, meditation, anything like that to expand my mind. I was reading, I was interested in, and I was practicing the best I knew how at the time. And with all the books that I've read on spirituality, by far the best teaching that I have ever heard from the Bible, from the Quran, from spiritual authors, from anyone you could think of, doing three kind acts a day is by far the best thing because it's actually taking that spirituality, it's taking that idea, it's taking the theory and putting it into physical action. And I think that a lot of the new age community and a lot of the mind expanding community, there's a lot of great theories and a lot of great insights, but we need to apply those things. You know, we can have a great idea of how to build a house. We can have a great idea of how to become an entrepreneur or give back, but it's the actual action that is so important. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. When it comes to exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities, I've had the huge honor of meeting and learning from some of the world's greatest living pioneers, people who are breaking our preconceived limitations, people who are expanding our culture's definition of what it means to be a human being, people who are creating what I call the new normal. And without a doubt, one of the greatest gems on my journey has been meeting an amazing man named Matt Belair. Matt is an author, athlete, speaker, and coach who's on a mission to empower people to master their mind, body, spirit, and make the world a better place. He has traveled around the world in pursuit of truth and inner mastery, including training with 34th generation Shaolin Kung Fu monks in China, studying meditation with Tibetan monks in Nepal, trekking Mount Everest, traveling to Egypt, exploring ancient civilizations and advanced technologies with the Resident Science Foundation, and more recently, training with Native American elder David Lone Bear Sanapas of the Mi'kmaq tribe. Along the way, he has had many direct personal experiences of multidimensional realities and found powerful and inspiring truths that they would never teach us in schools. So please, I'm so excited to welcome the author of the best-selling book, Zen Athlete, the host of the number one rated podcast, Mind, Body, Spirit, my brother from another mother, Matt Belair. Ah, oh, Thank you so much for the kind intro. It's so great to be here. It's an honor, really. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're getting super busy because you're a popular guy and also you just became a dad recently. Yep, new dad, and you're brewing a baby as we speak. Yes. So, yeah, it's busy times. It's exciting times. Definitely life changes, but all, all very exciting stuff. How has things changed since becoming a dad? I, I actually wrote about it on Instagram the other day. I was like, one of the things that changed was stress. You know, <laughs> there's a little bit more stress about some of the uh, regular life, but that trumps the grounding 
the grounding feeling of being a father. I've been traveling for so long. I've explored so many different places. I have a lot of inspirations and aspirations of explorations, but having a daughter and just seeing her and watching her grow in, in the short time I have, just the grounding idea of being a good father for me has been really great, knowing that I do have all these other goals, but if I can be a good father first and foremost and a good partner, then I'm actually doing something good. And my hope is to make a positive impact. So if I can do that, I feel like it's, it's, it's such an important thing to be a good father and, and I wanna focus on doing that. You've talked a lot about three acts of kindness that I think you learned from David Lone Bear. So yeah. can you talk to our audience about the, you know, that sounds so simple. It's like, okay, here's a guy who's had all these NDEs, multidimensional experiences, and he's out there preaching, oh, just do three nice things a day. It's like, come on. <laughs> that simple. So talk to us about how acts of kindness is maybe not as simple as it seems on the surface. What did you learn from David about the power of doing three acts of kindness? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll, and I'll talk about kind of the, some of the, you know, everyone wants to do the multidimensional thing and, and the interplanetary, all that. So, and I love all that stuff. I've been into that since I've been alive, you know, and, and that's why I was pursuing all these different things with travel and exploration and meditation and everything you can shake a stick at. If it's supposed to expand my consciousness, I've probably tried it. And yeah. so the three acts of kindness, you know, I've read so many books on spirituality. When I was young, I grew up a martial artist and I was really interested in enlightenment, consciousness, lucid dreaming, astral projection, meditation, anything like that to expand my mind. I was reading, I was interested in, and I was practicing the best I knew how at the time. And with all the books that I've read on spirituality, by far the best teaching that I have ever heard from the Bible, from the Quran, from spiritual authors, from anyone you could think of, doing three kind acts a day is by far the best thing because it's actually taking that spirituality, it's taking that idea, it's taking the theory and putting it into physical action. And I think that a lot of the new age community and a lot of the mind expanding community, there's a lot of great theories and a lot of great insights, but we need to apply those things. You know, we can have a great idea of how to build a house. We can have a great idea of how to become an entrepreneur or give back, but it's the actual action that is so important. And so I used to think that I was a kind and compassionate person and I was, but doing the three kind acts a day, going out of my way to do it and, and resisting the urge to tell anybody, that's the teaching. And when I started doing that, the actual actions and the effect in my community or the environment are each and every day increased exponentially because I was actually taking action. And when I was down in Guatemala, I went down there for the Mayan fire ceremony and they were doing the first Mayan fire ceremony in Tikal in, I think it was about 20 years because in the early 1990s, you have to look it up to check the numbers, but I think it was 80,000 indigenous people were murdered uh, by the government. And this was what the war was going on because they wanted to do their ceremony in Tikal as they always have. Um, and the government was saying, no, you can't. So there's this big massacre that happened and it was the first ceremony since then. And so, you know, when I was down there and exploring, you know, again, uh, I've been doing a lot of study with uh, David Lombear Senapas. And so I try to vet his story with other elders. So I know a Zuni elder, Clifford Mahuti, and I also know Carlos Barrios, who's a Mayan elder. And when I went down there, I was, I was telling him some of the stories David was saying. He was verifying a lot of stuff. And when he spoke, he said, the new spirituality is action. 
we need to take action. And so there was all these other speakers, but the actual elder there was really just saying like, we need to go out in the world. We need to put uh, the rubber to the road. We need to do these different things. Um, to actually make a difference. It's, it's a part of it is action. So on the multidimensional kind of side of things and, and weird experiences, you know, I've had many in my life, you know, maybe five or 10 or something like that. And they're really profound. You know, I can say it's like um, one of the ways that I put it, it's like if you're a, a duck and you become human and you get to have like a human consciousness, that's the level of gap or, or even bigger. And it's a place that, that I've experienced that's like beyond space and time. It's indescribable. Alan Watts says it's like a knife trying to cut itself. I don't know how to describe it, but it's a feeling. It's a thing that happened. And it's awesome that they happen. But what I've noticed as I've gotten older, I'm 35 now, and I pursued this really intensely pretty much my whole life, but especially between 20 and 30, 30 to 35, to want these experiences. And when they happen, it, it reminds me that there's a force there, whether it's God, nature, the universe, whatever you want to think, that thing is real. But what's required more than that is that grounding effort of the day-to-day -day decision to apply all these things you've learned around ethical behavioral, around right livelihood, around understanding yourself, around doing the practices to know yourself, about correcting your mistakes. It's such a human process. And growing up a martial artist, it's mind, body, spirit. And so if I want to break stone like one of the masters at the Shaolin Academy he could break stone with two fingers and it's an impossible thing just like Wim Hof who's been on your show he's doing things that you look at and you're like whoa that's that's like impossible and so I interviewed him and basically what he said I said I want to make sure because there's actually a lot of trickery out there too people right. that are false I call this is what I refer to as black magic a magician can do a magic trick and they'll tell you it's a magic trick there's some sort of trick there right black magic is when you do a magic trick but you tell them that, that you can actually do it. And so that's making you seem like some sort of special power type of deal. And so in martial arts, some people have showed me videos, they've showed me they can do things. And I'm like, I don't know why you would show that to me. You know, I know that's baloney because I, I've been training my whole life and I can't do it. So there's either a trick to it or there's something else, you know? And so it, it needs to be uh, replicated. And so they can't even speak English at that academy. And I said, and I got an interview with them and I said, hey, how do you do that? It seems impossible. What's the trick? And she translates to him and he goes, oh, there's no trick, right? And I said, come on, what's the trick, right? And she looks at him, she translates again. And he's like, no trick. I say it again. I was like, come on, there's got to be some sort of trick that you, you break these things. And now he knows what I'm saying. And he just starts slamming his fingers down on the table so hard. And he basically says years. I can't remember the amount of years now, but it was like eight years of hard qigong. Outside the academy, there are dent holes in trees from the students and the masters poking tree doing hard qigong, conditioning the body. Also, five, eight, ten years of qigong, learning how to go inwards, direct the qi, your spirit, the force to the fingertips to do something that is impossible. And so what I realized in that moment is that superhuman abilities like Wim Hof, like these people out that are doing those things, it didn't take a supernatural insight. It didn't take a supernatural secret technique. It was superhuman, extraordinary discipline and dedication to a process. And so if we pick something that we're so inspired to do and add part of that process to the journey, there's no way that we're not going to make incredible progress toward whatever that aim is. The problem is most people aren't even inspired about what they're doing in, in, in daily life, then alone some life mission that they can attach to. And it's not an end goal. It's more of a direction.
So how do you know what is the thing to dedicate so many years and so many hours to practice? That's the problem in our society. We have so much distraction. Everything looks so sparkly and sexy and everybody's tempting us with quick fixes, right? Like all the shortcuts to the shortcuts. I think it really begs the question, how do you, how have you found with such inner certainty within yourself that you are on the right path? And you know, you've dedicated decades to inner mastery, to cultivating all these tools from martial arts to snowboarding, to all these other practices. Like, where do you get that inner alignment from? That is a fantastic question and I'm glad you asked it. So the first thing, you want to do is you follow the passions. And the nice thing is of all these books that I've read and, and, and I continue to read and I continue to do courses, I continue to have guests on my show that I really respect and think have amazing insights. It's all very simple stuff. We're, we're just not doing it on a regular basis. So follow your passions, whatever lights you up, whatever you want to learn more of, whatever you want to grow, whatever you, I ask the questions when I coach people, some of the first questions I say, if you had a million dollars a day deposited in your bank account every single day, how would you spend your time? And so a lot of wealth and abundance and freedom and alignment has to do with letting go. How much money do you actually need to pursue the thing you want? And so one of the first examples for my life experiences, uh, when I was done college, I wanted to snowboard. I just knew that. I really, really wanted to snowboard every single day. And so I went out west to Whistler, Canada to spend the first year in Calgary and I, and I snowboarded on the hill. And then I said, you know, I was teaching snowboarding. So every day I was snowboarding, but I was like, I only want to coach people who are good snowboarders eventually one year two years later i'm only coaching people who are really good so i'm basically getting paid to snowboard how i would um snowboard anyway but i was really clear on my direction my passion i wrote it down continuous journaling now that's one practical thing you can do with your logical mind but what's more important and what i've discovered uh, the last few years is i had a friend and i've worked with a lot of different clients and most people are like this we are we are logical we're supposed to be logical our ego our identity our conscious mind runs us because when we cross the street it looks left and right so we don't die we don't kill the body that's what it's supposed to do if a tiger jumps out at something it's gonna run away and, and know how to defend it it's always on looking for those things so when you say hey What's your deepest passion? What would you do if you couldn't fail? What would you do if you, know, you could do anything? What would that be? Most people don't think about it. They're also going to answer with the logical conscious mind. So I have a friend I asked that to, and he is logical to the death. Like he just, his brain can't get outside of that, that logical mind. So I was like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a guided meditation. I just did it off the top of my head, and I did like a guided meditation slash hypnosis, and I hypnotized him into his heart. I asked him a bunch of questions. He started to cry. He came out of it, and I was like, huh, there's nothing I know out there like this. Um, this is very interesting. So I tested it on a few people, and of the 10 that I did it, eight of them had cry. Uh, two of them had really profound experiences, and it was a guided meditation into your heart. And the reason why is because your heart knows it's eternal. It knows you're infinite. It knows who you truly are. It knows what you want to be courageous toward. Your mind, its number one thing is to keep you alive, right? And so for us to live, we need to eat food. For us to eat food, we need to, we need to pay for that with paper money. So if our logical mind can't find the paper money and how we're going to be an artist or we're going to do this thing, then it's going to distort your life vision to some sort of degree. But when you're in your heart, 
and you're asked this series of questions, you have such a more authentic answer and you're able to let go of some of those values you thought, like a squirrel collecting nuts for the winter. We're like doing that over and over. Like, so we can't have enough nuts, can't have enough money to get to that next thing. So it knows that and so it reprioritizes. And I've done this with probably 50 people in person, hundreds of people have done it online, maybe thousands, uh, always really great feedback. And what's so interesting, I've done it with entrepreneurs, athletes, successful people, people with nothing, people in transition, people in every walk of life, they all want the same thing. But the important thing is you need to see it for yourself and you need to connect to that energy. And then the next step is, you know, when I teach in, you know, manifestation, there's so much stuff about the law of attraction, how to manifest your reality. I am into that. I'm all about it. I read everything I can. And it breaks down to a very simple concept. You need to know what the clear goal is and you need to add emotional state to it and you need to do it as a practice. So I had an athlete reach out and he fell on a front flip on his motorcycle. This is an amazing freestyle motocross rider. And he said, Hey man, I heard you're good. I want to land a front flip on my motorcycle and I want to do some variations that have never been done before. So we have a call and uh, I check his, you know, his mindset's really solid. And I was like, did a few upgrades and I was like, dude, all you need to do, you need to make a guided visualization of the front flip. You need to visualize that thing an hour a day, every single day until you know, you're going to land it, then go do it. So two weeks later, he's in competition. He lands a front flip. Three weeks after that, he lands the world's first front flip heel clicker on a motorcycle. Three weeks after that, he lands the world's first front flip Superman on a motorcycle. And he didn't even practice it the two weeks going up because he was going around schools in Australia teaching around mindset and, and all these different things in, in the different schools, just being an awesome human. And all he did was visualize with feeling. Now you go the next step. And you look at the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza and how people have cured themselves of cancer and all these things that are incurable, these incredible stories that go beyond sport. He did something that's never been done before. That's amazing. But what about the individual has like a disease that can't heal it? Well, this gives you the best opportunity to go into that, that timeless space, that infinite space, plug into that space, what it is that you truly desire with emotion. And so when you come full circle back to giving yourself that mission, it's not an end goal. You might not know at first. That's a whole part of it. You don't know, but you start with your passions. You start with taking action. You get feedback, you refine. And it's kind of like the world, you are in the middle of an ocean and culture and your parents and whatever else there is going to give you the stream of by default, go get a job in banking, go get a job here, go get a job there. You're going to get your squirrel nuts. You're going to have the life experience. But when you start to paddle in your own direction over a bit of time, you pick up your own stream, you hit your own island, you hit your own experiences and you get feedback and refine that direction. So that was a whole lot of words and I'll just stop talking there. <laughs> wow. I have like that sprung 10 other follow-up questions for me. The first thought I have is that I also share in my super wellness class a heart meditation of dropping into your heart to get life clarity. And what's really interesting is half the time people get super crystal clear life clarity answers. Half the time people realize they were asking the wrong questions. They realize that, wow, if I'm in my heart, that whole worldview is just even obsolete you know you transcend to this other level where it's just like why am i worried about that who cares you know there's something so much grander and more magical and more beautiful that's available to me the other thing is totally obsolete now and you've just outgrown it is how it feels 
But the real question I want to ask is, now that you're a dad, it seems to me as a parent that kids are already in that state. So it's more like when you're coaching your adult clients, you have to bring them back to that natural state. With kids, how do you think we can just preserve it? Don't screw it up, basically. Any advice on that front? Oh, man. Well, that's a huge rabbit hole to undertake. And I'll word it as positively as I can. When I was 15, I didn't understand how we had war. That was one of the first things that really made me curious. Like, why the heck do we have war? And then I went down and I started to look at um, banking and I started to look at hypnosis. I started all like, how did World War II happen? How did they set that up? And so my thought now is that education system needs a big upgrade. Um, and culture, what happens is like, if you grow up in the deep South, you know what I mean? And you have your family that has a certain view. You have your church that has a certain view. You have your country that has a certain worldview. It's very hard to think outside of that box. So we're being conditioned all the way around. And we don't even know what of those values, those ideas, those beliefs that are even ours. And so with children, it's just very important to teach them a growth mindset. You know, there's a great book by uh, Carol Dweck with that exact title, Growth Mindset. Teach them to learn, teach them to grow, teach them to be empowered, teach them to think for themselves. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very complicated when you get into, you know, the nitty gritty of the psychology. But if I could just share one insight, it's like, teach them how to overcome failure, how to quiet their mind, how to really work hard and persist and just redefine failure you know, and build their self-worth and their self-understanding because then they can navigate and they can have a learning mindset, a growth mindset, you know, and not identify with all of these limitations. Because what I think happens through school, through our culture, through education is they're making workers. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not taught any of this stuff in school. And I think it's on purpose. I, I don't think it's by accident. So it's up to the parents to look for those other avenues, those other, you know, find your kid a mentor. Who do you respect? Get them outside mentors. It can't be Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber. No offense to those two. They're probably great. But like, what about someone like Wim Hof? What about these great leaders? What about, you know, Nelson Mandela or somebody who's done something great? Give them those leaders. Give them the tools and the people to inspire towards. And I think that the education, maybe, maybe it's the education falls on the parents, not, not anything outside to make, really make sure that they have positive role models that they're doing positive things they do something for their body so what i'm going to do with my daughter and we'll see if it works who knows we'll flash back um but something for the body she can dance she can do gymnastics she can do martial arts anything to understand how the body works don't care um second thing is an art i don't care if it's music i don't care if it's painting i don't care what it is you're going to do some sort of art form now the next thing that i'm going to do and i think they're teaching in this school now is coding I think that coding and understanding what that language is, and, and that's going to be the next evolution. So I think if she has those three things, it's going to teach her how to understand the world, um, how to be creative, but also how to be disciplined. And that's what we need. We need that creativity and the discipline. You need the yin, you need the yang, and you got to apply the two because they're both necessary. The coding is interesting because it teaches you how actually, it, it makes it so obvious how our human system is also a set of codes, you know, yeah. and, and then you can hack into it, crack the code, repattern it, reprogram it, and you realize that it's, it's all within your control, within your power. What about your upbringing? How were your parents in cultivating this sense of curiosity and open-mindedness and well-roundedness? What were they really awesome at? And what might you do differently yourself now as a parent? 
Well, that's a that's a can of worms there. It's interesting. Well, I can say that um, I used to think that I was normal. I thought I was. I thought I thought like everybody else until really every single one of my friends was going to university, and nobody was thinking about travel. Nobody was thinking about what they wanted to do with themselves. Nobody was thinking about uh, a passionate living. They were thinking about just going to university and getting a job. That blew my mind because what you're doing is you're saying, yeah, I sign up for working forty hours a week, and I get two days off, and I get two weeks off a year. To me, that is unbelievable. It's unacceptable. I, I don't accept. I don't know what the alternative is. There isn't a clear alternative, but just hardcore no, unless I have to. And so nobody questioned that. And I was like, what the heck? And I never even had friends I could talk to about any of this stuff until about 23, my best friend, we started having these conversations. Then at 28, there was another friend and there's only two. And that's partially why I started the podcast because I've just always been like this and no one's ever wanted to talk about it. And so with my parents, my dad, he's French Canadian and he is a very interesting guy. He's got a superpower that even if you had like, you know, if you just had to step one step and like, there was no problem with your plan, it was like a hundred percent perfect. There's no way that you could find something negative. He would find that negative thing and he would, and he would push it. If there's like something, like if you can't be offended, like, you know, he would find that thing and he would like somehow offend you. It's like, a, it's a real amazing superpower that he has. Now, that being said, he's, he's also, you know, incredibly supportive and loving in a way where like he would wake up at 5 a.m. and always bring me to hockey. I would always get to do those things. But the way he was, he, he used his language and he understood reality. Him and I are like polar opposites. He, just thinks I'm like this weird anomaly, right? Doesn't understand really what's going on. My mom, I would say is like, you know, the most loving, compassionate person I've ever met. And so I, they, they were definitely supportive and they've always been supportive. They never said, you know, you can't do it. They've never been, um, you know, they've always had my back, which I really appreciate, but they didn't understand what the heck I was doing, what I was talking about. They, they, they had an idea, but they were supportive. So the thing that, I hope to give my daughter just support and I hope to give her uh, just understanding to the the best I know how and to, you know, say, hey, yeah, it's going to take hard work and it's going to be possible. You know, these are some roadblocks you might face, but I'm going to give you the tools to overcome them. Do you have conscious understanding why you incarnated as a child of your mom and dad? Have you done some like past life regression hypnosis to figure out why you chose this particular life with, um, it sounds like your parents are very good quality people and they're very, um, in the 3d existence in this lifetime. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Along those things I've done, you know, I've done the past life thing. Um, I've done the astrology chart. I pretty much done everything you could shake a stick at. And I think for me, what's important to know about my parents or the understanding is like accountability for what is happening, you know, saying, Oh, I'm not going to change anything, just moving through and, and letting them be who they are and the experience be what it is and move forward with that understanding. And because I think so many people will have a, an idea of like, Oh, well, this is what I have. It's like, you're a video game character. You have this many PowerPoints, you're this skilled, you're this and that. But really what it comes down to is how accountable you are with what you have access to and how you move that going forward. Because really the PowerPoints don't matter when determination is involved. You say all these mind-blowing things. I really need to um, pause and let, let myself and let our audience just like absorb the words that you're saying. Because uh, a lot of the things that you say are 
so potent and maybe they're very obvious to you but for someone that's just starting on this journey it's like any one of the sentences you've said so far is already if applied correctly absolutely life-changing and world-changing well i appreciate that the one thing that i'll add though is like it's not easy this life what i've done and even where i am right now has not been easy it's been incredibly challenging um it's 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 very challenging and the way that i kind of like give an analogy it's like you know you're in a dark forest right and you can take a step forward there's no wrong direction in life you keep stepping forward and you might be creating your life by default by default is you know what your parents might want uh, what you think is secure right i'm going to go into so-and-so job because it's secure um but then you have this passionate this real side of you that's like it, if you're a human what do you want to explore here really you became you're human so you can just work 40 hours a week and get a house and and buy these things now that's not to downplay security it's not to downplay family dynamic that's beautiful that's wonderful we need to do those things and we have to solve all kinds of problems just to be able to exist here and play that game but it's also to say don't put 100% of your life to that because so many people in that world, they forget about what they enjoyed doing. They maybe liked art. They maybe liked music. They maybe liked hockey. They maybe liked something. But in those passions and in those inspirations is truly who you are. And just remember to put 10%, maybe 20%. You know, uh, over the week, now I put an example today on Facebook as like, you know, even if that thing you put 30 minutes a day for the next five years towards that one thing that you wanted to, just something you might want to learn. It, once you take that action, you're going to get feedback. So when you're walking in this forest and you want to find your life path, it's the highest inspiration. You take a step and then you kind of get to see a little bit more, but you don't get to see the whole road. It unfolds as it goes. And so the best thing that you can do is like, it's, it's a challenge because it's like, you want to grow towards what inspires you and be grateful for where you are now. And that's mastering the process because I give the example of Alexander Ovechkin. He's a famous hockey player, an amazing person. And he finally won a Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. I was super happy for him. He's an awesome, this funny guy. And if you think about that's his pinnacle, the Stanley Cup, right? Yes, the thing I've worked my whole life for. Well, if he went through the first 36 years of his life, just, oh, when I get to that Stanley Cup, then I'm going to be happy. Not a great process. And then you get the cup. And then it, two days later, a week later, whatever, you're going to come right back down. So can we engage in where we are in the process with so much love and understanding and contentment and joy? Just like when is a kid good enough, right? Are they good enough at four? Are they good enough at nine years old? Is it 15 when they have basic understanding? Is it 20? Is it 24 when they graduate university? Then they're a worthy real person. Is it when they get their first job? Is it when they get their first promotion? Is it when they start their own business? And so we're always always growing so if we can do it from a state of excitement and gratitude and appreciation for what we have even if it's so little but honor who we are and move towards things that are meaningful to us by our own decision by our own creation because life isn't promised and if you end up dying along the way you're gonna be like crap i wasn't working towards things that were inspiring to me why was i doing this and so we can we can look at that now. And one of the processes that I find really helpful for people that I do sometimes is a, they call it a shamanic death ritual, but really it's just a guided meditation into your own death. It's like, mm. all right, okay, now you're dead. Now, now, now review your life. Have a look. What was honest? What was dishonest? And what it does is just adds another frame. There's a really great Instagram meme that goes around. It's like, this is true. This is true. It's like a square in the middle. 
and one side looks like a circle, one side looks like a square, but it just gives you like, it's something like that, but it gives you two different perspectives. It's the idea of just shifting another perspective, gives you another option. And if you only have one option, you're probably not very free because it's the only way. But if you have two options, by that, you have infinite options because that second option could be anything. Once you've broken out of that one option, it doesn't become one other option. It's like, oh, well, that second option now becomes infinite options. It could be something else that I'm doing now that I'm more inspired to do, but it requires action and it requires time day in and day out over a set of years, not instantaneous uh, biohacking and you know the quick fix. It doesn't work. I'm always reading them and I'm always trying, but I haven't found one yet. It's more like process. Tell us some stories along your journey. Like you started questioning things at age 15 or it was before that? I just, you know, it's interesting because we have this uh, culture now that talks about woke and it talks about awakening and enlightenment. And I was just always really curious about those ideas. I also, from as far as I can remember being like, this is horse crap. Like none of this, the government's lying to me. How do you not know that? Why are you yelling at the TV over politics? They don't control the show. I don't know how it works yet, but something is messed up here. This is wrong. All of this is so wrong, you know? And so I just didn't understand how the world worked. I didn't, it, it made no sense to me from the beginning and it still doesn't. Why, why don't we have world peace? You know? that's such an absurd thing. Why do 3 billion people a day live under $2 and 50 cents? And how many people starve to death today? Now it is absurd. If we have wealth in one end and uh, you know, people starving to death in another, we live in a world that doesn't make sense. And so who are these people or who are these organizations that are crafting that? And why are the individuals um, like, you know, middle-class, like me, like anyone else out there, why are we just like allowing this? Why aren't we getting together and saying, Hey, you know, we stand for world peace. You cannot mass murder people, you know? And then how do we do that? Do we do it by force? Do we do it by uh, a bigger weapon? You know, but we start the conversation and we need to get to a place where we are living on a planet of peace. I think that that's the next big human upgrade. And if you think one of the examples I use a lot and hashtag, you know, hashtag team earth, because I love the idea of what if Team Canada and Team USA and Team Russia and Team China and Team Norway and Team whoever all came together, looked at the biggest problems and said, hey, we're going to put all that aside. Let's figure out this people starving to death thing. That's probably not okay. Let's figure out what are the other biggest problems that we're having. Let's all work together, set all this political stuff away. But the problem is now you got to get into the conspiracy rabbit hole because why aren't they doing that? Doesn't that make sense? Don't they teach you when you're a kid to, to get along with the next kid and not be, you know, not hate them because they have a different religion, not hate them because they have a different skin color. But why are we doing that on a planetary scale and saying it's okay? You know, what's happening there? It's because of money. It's because of old structures. It's because of these secret organizations. And they're not even secret. You can go find them. But it's just boatloads of money who people have so much influence and they're, and they're a for-profit system. They're not for resource. They're not for collaboration. They're not for uh, freedom for all. Like you can just, even going to China was a huge wake-up call for me. When I went to go meditate with the monks in Nepal, I wanted to go to Tibet, but it's still occupied by China. So what organizations are doing this? But we don't even need as a, as a people to worry about what they're doing. We need to just get together as a people, start asking these questions. The scientists need to talk to the other scientists. They need to disengage from the from the default system of just working a job to make money to support some vision create your own vision get people inspired with that and find like-minded people that's how we do it we have to do it independently together and it's scary and that's why not a lot of people are doing it because it's unsafe because it's uncertain because the paycheck isn't 
guaranteed because it's not a common route because people are going to tell you all the reasons why you can't do it. And that's why it's so important that you do do it. You know, that's, that's why, that's why you got to do it. You got to try your best, but that's how you, I think you engage with spirit. The real spiritual force is, is that action. It's like then after a while and taking action, you're going to see something that happens. That's like, that's the universal force. And you're like, Holy smokes. It's so beautiful and so profound. And it's just this wink say, keep going. You can do it because it's a lonely path for me anyway. I don't know. Uh, I've had a lot of people on my podcast out of respect, but the people who were really doing it, they said, you know, we had to, we had to overcome a lot of challenges. It was risky. It was frightening. And uh, it doesn't seem to get any safer. Even when people get to a certain level of success, it's like, it's, you, you have to have integrity with yourself to keep trying. And if you, if you need to go back and, and, and recalibrate and do some safe things, there's no problem there. Just don't forget about that bigger calling that, that you're designing. So as a child, did you bring up these questions to adults around you? And everybody's like, what's wrong with this kid? You know, or did you learn to keep the, this kind of very important inquiry just as a secret to yourself? Did you see that adults were just so programmed that they weren't even interested in having this level of conversation growing up? Yeah, I think so. I think I was able to have a, a few conversations with some people and you got to understand that it's like exactly like the programming. It's like what you understand about reality. People, I think, are in the survival level consciousness. You know, there, it's, it's survival consciousness. It's fear-based consciousness. And I call it also task list consciousness. You wake up, you get the coffee, you get your butt to work, you do all the tasks you got to do there. You get home, you're like, oh, goodness gracious, like that was crazy. Then you take care of the kids and, um, you know, then you kind of move forward. You don't have a lot of time to be thinking about all these things. It's a luxury. But also I recognize too that the only reason I get to think all of these things, the only thing that I've got to do all the things that I've done are because of the generations behind me that work their butt off to create a life, to you know, to have that hard work to get to that next level. So I'm at that next level and I'm using that opportunity to go as far as I can. But I understand and I respect and I have great admiration for my father who works super hard, my mother to work super hard to give me this opportunity. And I want to take that opportunity. And I think a lot of the younger generation isn't applying that hard work and discipline. You take an immigrant over, um, you know, Canada has a lot of immigrants and how hard they work and how disciplined they are just to get to a, a level to have what I have here, to have a home, to have food, um, you know, on the table, right? Unless you can get out of that, that survival base mode, um, you're toast. So you got to get out of survival base mode, but, you know, keep working with spirit and say, how do I get out of the survival base mode and make an impact? And just to kind of finish the rant, what I, what I've, think about what I think a true enlightened person is, is a, is a couple things. Number one, you're just, you take accountability for everything that's happened and everything will happen because if you don't take accountability, you're a victim and you can't change it. So even if it sucks, you just got to take accountability and learn from it and grow and move forward. The second thing is, um, and this is how I thought, and, and I was trying to decode it because I had a lot of different people on the podcast and I was trying to figure out the difference for myself. I never thought about what I could get. Like I did in like, you know, I want to go snowboarding and I want to do all these things. I thought about what I could get in that way, but I always thought about how can I make a difference? How can I make a positive Im impact? How can I help people in the biggest way possible? And I didn't know how, and I still don't know how, but um, part of that process was having to learn to grow, but I always wanted to give back. I always wanted to kind of make uh, an impact in a positive way, not just get money. Like when I sold cars, for example, I sold cars so I could save money to go traveling. 
And the way you make money is the more you charge the person for the car, the more money you get in commission. And my boss, I remember yelling at me one day and he's just like, he he tells me the money and it's like so much more than the car's worth. And this person just had a baby and it's like so overpriced. And the crazy thing is how well it works. If you just listen to the boss and you like, I don't know how people don't look up the amount of money for a car, but it works way too good. And I was like, this is too much. And he's like, you're always in here giving me some sort of story about why we can't charge him. He's like, your job is to tell them the numbers and come back to me. Okay. He's so upset. And so I would sell so many cars, but at the least profit because I genuinely wanted to help that individual. So it's just the mindset of, of how, how you can develop your craft, develop who you are, and that's how you give back. Just like the same way in the forest, if a beaver is trying to be an eagle and the eagle is trying to be an otter, they're not going to have a great experience. And when they become who they are, it, the whole environment works and the whole environment supports that individual. And that's your passion. That's your inspiration. That's to be in spirit. To be inspired is in spirit. That's your alignment. So if you're inspired about what you're learning, you're inspired about what you're doing, you're inspired about your vision, you're in alignment. And does not mean it's easy? No, it's probably harder, but it's up to you to kind of walk those steps. That Your story reminds me when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong. I have Chinese family. We immigrated to the United States, very hardworking. And there was one time we were in like a Chinese market. You know how they haggle prices? And my mom thought it a very important skill as a Chinese person to know how to haggle in a market. And so we're in the market. There's some doodad. I can't remember what I was trying to buy. And she gave me like... I don't know, 10 bucks. And she's like, haggle it down to as low as possible. And um, usually they tell you, oh, it's 20 bucks and then you can haggle it down to five. And so I was like, okay, I'll do some of this haggling. But I noticed this is like a, a single mom with three kids work vending at the stand. And I was just like, I want to give her a little extra. Look how hard she's working. She's got the kids and everything. And so I just like stopped halfway. I'm like, here you go. And I gave her way more than I needed. Like I could have haggled it down. And I felt so good because I felt like I was like, I did a little bit of haggling just for sport. But then I gave her a nice smile and a little wink to the kids there. Just like, hey, you know, I wanted to support your little business stand here. And my mom scolded and scolded me afterwards. She's like, why didn't you have that? The next vendor would have sold you that for one buck, you know? And I was just like, but, but I feel like I won. You know, I feel like that was like the ultimate. I'm participating a little bit in the culture, but... I gave from my heart and doesn't that count for anything that like really got seared into my memory that that is something about our human nature that really needs to be reprogrammed on this is just this competitive mindset that we have instead of a collaborative mindset that we have on this planet. Yeah, that is such a really beautiful story in and when I use the example of Team Earth, I, I use that as one of the turning points. We go from competition to collaboration on the planet. Such a huge uh, difference. And it's unfortunate that this is the way that the world's set up. And if you look at, you know, I've studied uh, ancient civilizations, gone down all the different rabbit holes, and, you know, you get into, like, yeah, all kinds of stuff. It's wild down there. <laughs> but, you know, you can look at, like, ancient Rome and how things worked in the, the time of Socrates. They're using the same modes of control that they used back in the day you know what what is the quote it's like give them um wine and games and they'll never revolt and that was in the roman times something along those lines and 
Um, you know, we still have that now. We have people that go nuts over the Super Bowl. Nothing against Super Bowl. You can watch Super Bowl. That's fantastic. But uh, David Lonebear, when he was speaking at the Parliament of World Religions, he said, imagine the Super Bowl. Everyone was that excited about world peace. You know, what are all these influencers and these people doing? Why aren't we talking about this? What's happening? Like, what, like, look at the, it drives me nuts. And I, it's like, people like think I'm weird. You're freaking weird. Like, are you not looking at what is happening here? Look at it. Understand why is no one talking about this? This is awful. Like what is happening? What we're allowing this planet collectively is awful. And all we need is to say, no, we need to come together. We need to let go of that baloney and figure these things out, work together. But the problem is it's not safe. So now you bring it down, right? And you go into the Roman times who is coming there to collect taxes. What happened to the Knights Templar? I'm learning so much more about the Knights Templar, but I'll break it down in a very simple way. You've got the Catholic church that is running everything. They have everything. If you say anything about the Catholic Church, guess what happens to you? You get hung. That's not fun. And so Knights Templars come in. They start basically what you'd refer to as a uh, little side village, right? And you're, you're welcome to believe what you want. You, could, you can have different views. You could be black. You could be white. You could think different things, and we won't kill you for it. That sounds great. Um, it actually started working to the point where then finally Catholic Church goes, holy crap, that's working. We need to put an end to that. Friday the 13th, they go over to Nova Scotia. They, he, they meet the Mi'kmaq uh, Native Americans. There's a whole thing there that I'm trying to uncover, but I'm in there with two people that, that uh, Brian Francis is one of them. David Lonebear is another one. He did a talk about the Knights Templar a few weeks ago. They have a 20,000-year history. It's oral, and it's passed down. No books, no nothing. It's oral. And so there's some fascinating stuff there, but these are like the kind of underlying things of these systems that don't make sense that that bug me you know because then like you look at the pipeline going through right what was that there was native american people standing for the environment trying to protect the environment people who got paychecks on the other side holding weapons it's still that's not okay it's not an okay thing you know and that's all it is it's coming down to currency it's coming down to money because i'm not even upset with the guy holding the gun he needs to provide for his family he's doing it the best way he knows how right but systematically there's a problem with that and it's just because we have this planetary for-profit system and it needs to it needs to be built on ethics and i don't have the solution but we need to have really smart people with really great influence working towards solutions so that uh, i think as buckminster fuller said you don't change the world by fighting the old system you do it by building a new system that's so much better it makes the old one obsolete and yeah. so it just seems that it really takes individual effort right now uh yeah so i'll just leave it leave it at that so um i have a couple of questions question one is what advice do you have about watching the news not totally being checked out about what's going on all the rest all the change is like it's like the best of times and worst of times is so intense to turn on the news at any moment in time right now it's easy to just be like check out of the whole thing just hide out in the mountains you know meditate all day and just not be engaged and secondly how do we discover what is our piece of the equation to solve can you talk about those two yeah, those are really great questions. I like what Denzel Washington said once. He goes, if you don't watch the news, you're not informed. If you do watch the news, you're misinformed. And so <laughs> I think you could watch a little bit of news. I don't watch the news personally. Um, you can look at how bad it is. So I studied hypnosis and uh, the mass media, uh, 
the media is controlled. The, you know, it sounds conspiracy, but it, it is, it's controlled. Um, and not all of it, but most of it, the news is controlled. You can look at videos now where they're using scripts and when you use hypnosis, you can use scripts and hypnosis is very powerful and it's very easy. And so if I say, don't imagine a pink cow, you start to imagine a pink cow. Now let's go a step further and I apologize uh, for doing this. Let's imagine. Okay. Let's imagine on the show. I have this nice little kitty. And if you had a cat, it's your cat, your childhood cat, the cat you have. a very nice cat. Um, or it's a dog. Maybe I have your dog. So just imagine now, play, I've got your little dog. Now, all of a sudden, I got him like this, and I got a scalpel. And you're like, oh, crap. This guy going to cut my dog? And I'm, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to cut your dog, and there's nothing you can do about it. I stab your dog in the heart. Now he's yelping and screaming. He's all kinds of pain. Slit him open. You just watch your dog dangle, and he's all dead. Now, if you do that, how do you feel right now? You feel crappy, don't you? And I apologize for doing that, and especially if you played along. So just through words, you feel crappy. Yeah. Emotions make you do certain actions. The media creates fear, so you stay that way and do a certain action. You stay safe. You stay secure. You don't go, this is not by accident. This is really intelligent people doing this on purpose. It's not just one murder show on TV. Why do they have so many murder shows? It's not because everybody loves them so much. Yeah, they get ratings. It's a group of murder shows and some of them are just called murder. So when you think of something all the time, if you come into my home and everything is like guts and, and crazy sick stuff on the walls, you're going to be like, I am getting the hell out of here. This is crazy. We're doing that to our conscious mind on a daily basis through shite TV. Through Dr. Phil, my girlfriend, I love her. She keeps watching Dr. Phil and it's pissing me off. And I'm like, this is Jerry Springer, you know, for the next, it is so bad and so terrible. It's not good for your brain. You know what I mean? This is, so we're, we're kind of numbing out on one way. We have all these murder shows and this is what the Buddhists call mental nutriment. What's going inside. And so we're filling our mind with all of this crap. And it's, and it's taking a toll. It is affecting your subconscious. It's affecting your decision. It's affecting your emotional state. It's, it's affecting your inspiration. It's affecting your connection to spirit. It's very important. And so I don't really recommend the news. <laughs> um, I recommend more time in nature. I recommend looking at the solution because when I went into this, I went through a pretty good depression, probably 21 to 24, in and out. I was snowboarding and life was good there. But I was so gutted that nobody gave a crap. Nobody wanted to talk about these. Nobody wanted to engage in solutions. Nobody cared. And it was really, really hard. I was like, how can it? And I couldn't understand how it could be designed like this. I couldn't understand how groups of people would knowingly do this, right? It's like, how do you knowingly create war? Like, you, you know, look at Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, watch the Zeitgeist documentary. Uh, so there's a lot of evil stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff too. But if you look at history and the systems, it's generally not that good. You know, if you're religious, that's fantastic. You know, I have nothing against that, but I do have a problem with religious institutions, uh, you know, doing mass wars for years and years and years because somebody believes something different and then you're going to murder them. I don't really think that's what the book said to do probably said don't murder as one of the rules and but we're saying that somebody believes something else that we're going to murder them on a mass scale it's not okay and we should be evolving past that so now with that time you can then look at solutions right and that's where the three kind of acts come in and that's where your little piece of the pie starts with you being embodied 
you, uh, I love the, the Buddhist eightfold path and it's like right livelihood, right action, right speech. So take care of yourself first. And it's going to be the long game. Think of it over a lifetime, not a week and not a day. If you're out of shape, walk a half a kilometer a day for the first week, every single day, something easy. Then the next week, a kilometer, that's the minimum you do. Um, and then over a month, every single day uh, in three months, your life will be totally changed. So the first thing is you got to teach yourself to swim. You got to be okay. You got to figure out your own programming. Just do the best you can and figure out what lights you up, what inspires you. That's getting you in alignment and spirit. And it's going to take some education time. It's going to take some thinking. It's going to take some action. It's going to take some failure. Failure is a part of it. Don't worry about failure. Fail, fail often. Enjoy it, but move towards the things that you want. And as you move towards what you're inspired to do, when you become an expert at that, you're going to find a way to contribute. You're going to find a way to help. And so you could be like a dance teacher, but every kid that comes in there, you're teaching them you know, uh, principles about life. That's what martial arts does. That's what a great teacher does. That's what a great wrestling coach does. That's what a great piano teacher does. They teach them more about life and how that person can have tools and perspectives and mindsets to shift their lights, to, over, to overcome obstacles, to do something meaningful. And so the, the more whole we can become, more kind we can become to ourselves, the more that that thing, that, that contribution will arise. But it happens over a lifetime. And I saw something recently about, uh, you know, these great minds like Leonardo da Vinci and all those kinds of people saying that their greatest work came at like 50 years old, at 80 years old, at 70 years old. It's, it's a lifetime. So think of it as that long process and be easy on yourself for where you are in the, uh, on the path because you might a uh, four-year education or a master's degree is like six years, right? So it, it's going to take some time, but, you know, move towards the thing that inspires you because then there's going to be an opportunity and you're going to be ready for it. And you're going to say, ah, that's the thing. That's the next step. And once you engage in that next step and you go through all the things, there's going to be another step, but you're going to know, does this step inspire you? Does it help people? Is it aligned with my values? Am I just doing it for money? Am I making, you know, look at the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, it's just like, I just going to make all the money I can, you know, and that's cool for a season. But if you become aware, you might be like, Hey, how can I do something more meaningful? You know, and, and you can do anything you want. There's no wrong. Um, you know, I think that good, bad, it's all the same. It's, it's the individual's process, but from what I've looked at and what I feel and from having all the podcasts and stuff that a meaningful life is one that somebody's looked at their values and they've, they've looked at their own ethics and they're trying to contribute and they're learning in ways that they want to learn and they have the courage to take those steps uh, each and every day and uh, you know overcome their own failures so yeah so beautiful i have two other follow-up questions to that i love this whole flow that we're in but i have a super pregnant bladder so I had to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah right those of you guys listening i'm about to give birth like any time in the next couple of weeks so this is a pre-recorded interview so that we can release it after the baby comes so i apologize there's a quick break and then i'll be right back to really powerful questions all right much better so i love that you carry what seems like lifetimes of wisdom in an apparent 35 year old body because i think in this generation of young people we need that messaging more we need younger sharers of wisdom who say you know what i don't have a quick fix you know what it is the long game and it's about discipline and consistency and just really following your path consistently over a matter of decades or maybe multiple lifetimes to have that perspective brought forth by a voice and a person who is a younger person i think is so so critical right now but if you were to shortcut our learning 
what are say five books or documentaries that you think are absolutely life-changing and must see or must read? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, when I trained with the, the Shaolin monks, like I said, the story where, where it took them years to do that unbelievable thing, that's what I learned in trying to take the shortcut all of the time. So I think that understanding that there are no shortcuts, but engaging more powerfully in the process. So let me think about that. It's a really great question. You know, I think that there are so many great books out there. The thing that I would say is start learning use podcasts. So not just one book that's going to end it all. Like listen to your podcast, have a few of my podcasts, find, there's so many great ways to start learning, start learning all the stuff that you're interested in, get into it because my favorite self-help book might not be your favorite self-help book. Um, you know, so your book is amazing. You know what I mean? There's so many great principles in there and you can apply them to all areas of your life and to start doing that. So Zen Athlete's a fantastic book and I created a, a a course around it and it's all the best sports psychology techniques and mindset techniques that I know about made easy. And so I'm going to create a course around that. Really what it is, it's identifying the goal, understanding dedication, visualization, and your beliefs. You need to know how your beliefs operate. A great recommendation for that is psycho cybernetics by um, Maxwell. Is that what it is? Uh, Fantastic book. I recommend a book about on NLP, the basics of neuro-linguistic programming to everybody understand how to do self-hypnosis because those are the best ways to engage in subconscious programming and a, a meditation practice could be a meditation book, but you need to understand how to quiet the mind because it's the awareness of those habits that allow you to go back and rewrite the coding. And so again, with the Zen athlete, I just wrote that in the easiest way that I knew how for how I would say, Oh, can you land a backflip? Can you start this business? Whatever the case is. Um, and there's lots of great books on it. NLP touches on it. And I just kind of put them together like that journaling is massive asking yourself the questions understanding your values my life is ideal when dot 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 uh, my greatest values in life are dot 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 my greatest dream is dot 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 um you know what am i most passionate about what would i learn create a bucket list you know what would you do if you only had a year left it people don't do that create a bucket list you know i've had i think four or five near-death experiences and a couple of them i was like oh okay like uh you know i guess i'm done and I didn't feel like I regretted anything. It was just the experience that I had. And I was grateful um, that I had that. And the reason why is because I write the stuff down that I really want to do. And then I go do it. And it's usually a pain in the butt to try to problem solve it and get there and figure out the money and do all that different stuff. But you know, you know, if I die, I tried really hard to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. And then I went to go do it. And that's it. No, no secret sauce, just that. Write it down what I wanted to do and, and then do my best to go there and do it. And did I make mistakes? Yeah. Could I have done better? Yeah. Did I, you know, I, do I wish I had all done these other things too? Sure. But the experiences were most important. The learning was most important. I can't take money with me. Would I like to be more financially stable? Yeah. I got a daughter now. I got to figure that out. You know, it's like, so, but it, as it arises, you can solve that new puzzle. And so I think journaling is so important just that, you know, moving into appreciation, but understanding how your mind works is paramount. And that's meditation, understanding hypnosis, self-hypnosis, neuro-linguistic programming, so, so important. But I would just invite people. It's like the, the thing that you want to learn about, if it's music, engage in music fully, find the top five podcasts and find the top five books and get into it. If it's entrepreneurship, get into it. If it's martial arts, get into it. And from any one set of mastery, whether it's martial arts, book, 
uh, food, yoga. You can find mastery in life on all things. You know, Bruce Lee was one of my big mentors and he said that, you know, I learned everything that I've done and all my success comes from understanding martial arts. That idea and that model of what it was to be a successful martial artist, I applied that to all areas of my life. So whatever you want to master, it's going to affect everything. And in the conspiracy side of things, you know, for the how the world works, I really like Zeitgeist and Thrive. I don't believe everything in, in all of them for, for all of it, but Zeitgeist is a great documentary. Um, and Thrive it just gives you a big overview on those kind of things. Because when you start going down the rabbit hole, which I have in those, I really don't know what's going on. I do know we have these really weird anomalies like going to Egypt with the Resonant Science Foundation. And it was with mathematicians, engineers, geologists, the smartest people. And what their consensus is, is I didn't meet one person that didn't believe in some sort of extraterrestrial existence because it's right on this crazy building and all of these other things all over the world and all the indigenous cultures are talking there's just so much evidence now we don't have a clear on who it is what it is what they want all those different things but it is clear that something is there and it's in writing and it's in all these different things. Um, or it's like uh, I heard once that maybe that civilizations got to a certain height, right? Let's say we don't blow ourselves up in 50 years and we make pyramids, but then we blow ourselves up and then we start from scratch again. So it's probably one of those two things, but uh, yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating world. I think we're in some really fascinating times right now. Tell us about some direct experiences you've had with uh, orbs, UFOs, any oh. stories to share? Yeah, man, I got, I got a few crazy ones. Uh, I will just tell, I'll just tell you this one. When I met, I saw David Lombear speak, uh, and this was at the last day of a Gem and Jam festival in Tucson. And this Native American speaks, and he talks about growing up on the side of a mountain for the first twenty six years of his life, being taught by elders, math, engineering, science, biology, chemistry. I don't know anything about Native American history. I don't know anything about Native Americans. I was like, holy crap, man, that is nuts. And so I went up to him and I was like, whoa, that's nuts. He said he needed help. I was like, I'll help you if I can. And he said, come watch me speak again. So I watched him speak again, more wild stories. And I said, you got to come on my podcast, share these stories, man. These are crazy. He Wait, comes on my, uh, yeah, he, he's, we've done like 20, 30 episodes right now, but I recommend checking out episode number 53 because mm -hmm. this thing is bonkers. So, Comes on episode 53. I don't know who he is. For three and a half hours, he's telling me Native American history. It's a 20,000 year oral lineage. He thought, you know, he's, he said, my elders asked me to tell this to you. This is, this is Native history. You guys don't know this. And I'm for the first time ever sharing it with non-Natives. So I'm not going to call the guy a liar. I'm just going to figure it out, although it's pretty mind-blowing. And so he's talking about Atlantis wasn't a continent. It was a spaceship. Um, we have records of Egypt. We have records of Jesus Christ. We have records of all that in our history. There is, from my own research with Brian Francis, who's actually in the uh, Canadian Parliament now and is a documentarian, um, he has, he's asked in inquiring, he said that there is a connection between the Mi'kmaq and the Jesus Christ lineage, some, something in there. So there's some sort of connection, just like there is with the Templars. And so that's some fascinating stuff. He comes on the show and says all kinds of bonkers things, right? My choice right now is like, call the man a liar who I don't know anything about Native American history or whatever. But I call him up right after and I said, hey, David, are you telling me the truth? Or are you a Native American storyteller telling me all these wild stories so that we're kind and compassionate? Because most of them will talk about how we need to be kind, how we need to create community and do all these different things. And he said, well, I am a storyteller, but the stories I told you today were true. He's like, I could put you in a, a tunnel and bring you to where I am right now. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, do you need me to? I was like, 
I didn't know if it was like some sort of like spiritual, like uh, faith thing, right? Like, cause I've read, I've read uh, life and teachings of the masters of the far East. Amazing. Autobiography of a Yogi. Amazing. I think that there are some special beings here. I think that. So I'm like, oh. I was like, so maybe I need faith to go on this ride. So I go, you don't have to, but it'd be really cool if you did. And he goes, okay, look at the sky tonight. You may or may not see something. And I was like, all right. So I was at Arcosanti, which is between Phoenix and Sedona. And it's supposed to be a sustainable village. And they got all these land and it's supposed to be this, you know, new age community. Uh, and it's been there for a while and they, they did okay. And they're growing. My friend Rob Jameson's there. He's awesome guys visiting him. And we went down to the lower level to get some pizza. After pizza, I start walking up back to where I'm staying and I notice a star above the building. And you need to give reality a chance because the first thing that I saw was, holy smokes, that yeah, star, right? And I was like, that is weird. Something's going on. Maybe it's my buddy's drone. So I run up the hill. I keep my eyes on the star. It goes across the street and it's across the street and I'm looking at this thing. And so it's about maybe half a mile away or something like that, a mile. And what do you do when you see a floating star orb? You ohm at it because what else do the hippies do is so I try ohming at it, <laughs> but it worked. And so it started to get closer, closer and closer. And I'm watching this thing. It gets to, like, I don't know how far away, not far, like 50 feet away from me and maybe 50, 100 feet up, maybe not even. It was close. At that point, I'm remembering all the wild stuff that he has said to me. I don't really know who he is or what, what the deal is. I just know that there is a star above my head right now that I don't understand. It's not a physical object. It's making no sound and it's morphing between a circle and a square with really thin lights. And oddly enough, I can actually show a picture of kind of what it looked like. This is David Lone Bear's art. And this is what that freaking thing looked like. And so there was no physical part. The, this, the triangle was morphed. It was morphing. Can you describe it for people that are just listening to audio and can't see the video? So you could look up the Freemason symbol with the triangle and the thin lights. What it was, it was like a, it was it was morphing from the, the centerpiece was a circle, and then it would kind of go into kind of triangly light. It was only light. It was I said, nothing physical. But it, the piercing light, the rays were super thin. It they were super thin in all directions, and it, it just looked like a star close up, you know, that's, and it was moving and it was moving organically and it was really interesting. So I was like, holy smokes. I, I was afraid at that point because I didn't know what was going to happen. And then it started to back up and it backed up until I calmed down and then it stopped backing up and it was a little bit further away. So then for 40 minutes, I watched this thing. I just looked at it in the sky and I got to the point where I was bored of looking at this anomaly and I videoed it. It's on YouTube. It says UFO or Barco Santi. And I, I then tried to meditate and communicate with it telepathically a few times. And the third time I, I looked back where it was in the sky and it just disappeared. And so that was enough to get me to the next stage. And he said, you need to, you know, it's like my doors open. I'm, I'll welcome you for a training. I've never trained a non-native in these teachings in this way. I've taught community and he's been trying to teach community for four years uh, and it's very he's like mr miyagi in and a lot he's he's a mix of mr miyagi and um dr strange where you got to kind of earn the teachings it's not straightforward but every now and then you get like a little blip of information and you connect it to another thing and you connect it to another thing and then it starts to piece together but one of my friends is clifford mahudi who's a zuni elder and yeah. he was one of the first people that i i tried to vet as like Clifford, can you tell me if this Native American guy's legit? Because you're the only other Native American I know. And he is saying some wild stuff to me. 
But interestingly, he's a mathematician as well. And he has the world record for putting balloons into outer space, high altitude balloons, 400,000 feet up. It's a world record. He did it by himself, by himself in poverty. He's, he's been getting no help for four or five years. He's done this all in poverty. He made an electric bike that went 40 miles an hour. Uh, people in Maine saw him drive it. And, and he, he, it's like this tier capacitor. And these, this is coming from apparently what he has, these ancient copper scrolls that are more like schematics. And this is what his elders gave him. And that's what he's translating. So it just sounds like sci-fi Star Trek stuff. And all I know is to try to get smarter people to look at it, to see if it's legit. But every engineer and every mathematician, and it hasn't been that many that actually take a peek, that look into it, realize that the math is sound because the technology's working and they can't poke a hole in the story. But what he said and what the elders said is that this technology and this information is for the non-natives, but it's got to be the community. And if they don't have community, then we can't give it to them. And he hasn't been able to build a big enough community since because, you know, being in it for a while, there's been a lot of, let's just say nonsense, people doing nonsense things and not working together um, to bring this to people. But that's what he's been trying to do. And he's like, I can't give it to one person. It's not allowed because the way your culture works is you can then sell it and then monetize it and then patent it and do all these things. He's like, this is for all people. And if you get, if there's enough people, it's yours and it's for everyone's. He's like, also, if I give you the technology, the powers that be that don't want this, we'll just take them away. And so it's been a very fascinating thing, but I spent two years and I'm still friends with him, having podcasts with him and doing these different teachings. I haven't been able to poke a hole in his story yet. His technology's worked, including a sun house. So when he first was talking in Maine, people didn't really believe him because he would talk about spirituality, Native American spirituality. They like that. But he would also talk about star people and star beings and advanced technology and things like that. And so finally, someone's like, you know what? Build that sun house you're talking about. It's an advanced greenhouse that grows vegetables faster, bigger, more nutrient dense. They fund him. He builds it. It works exactly how they say. I guess one person got freaked out. Then they took the technology, and we can't access it now. And so he has a biodome project in North Carolina, big crystal that I went down there and worked on. I don't understand how it works. And so it's either a he's like the greatest bullcrapper, and he's just like this Native American that wanted to come over and just tell all these wild stories, or he's legit, and we need community. And and so far, I haven't found something that said you know this isn't this is baloney. This is you know, his technology has been working and even actually has a three pole magnet, which is very fascinating also. What does the biodome do? We did a big podcast on there. We might have to shut down that project because we don't own the land. And that's a big problem because again, it needs community and you also need funding for these projects. He's done it all with dumpster diving, um, taking electronics, putting them up, you know, putting them together, shooting the balloons into space, things like that. So the biodome now that, that, that land will be sold, but what it is, is a dome. And there is a technology in it. And he hasn't put in the other part. But what it can do is it can send a signal and receive a signal. But it also creates an inverse magnetic field up to 200 miles. And so here's where we get to conspiracy theory stuff. He said, um, and I've heard this before, but if you look at bridges like the Boston Bridge, um, they're, they're lined with, it looks like a tuning fork said that there, there's gold and platinum in those wires because what it does is it sends out a little bit of a signal and we are fr- uh, beings of frequency. And what it does is it puts you in a little bit of a funk or a daze. 
what this does is like you look at all those technologies those emfs all that kind of stuff he's like it's like that but it'll be magnified like times 100 like you'll walk in there and it's like you've meditated for 100 years and so it's partially built, but 30% built, but I've watched him do it all by himself. If the guy is so dedicated, he's so hardworking, he's so humble. He's done it all with no money. He almost died. He was a homeless. And so he is really persevering over this thing. If it's baloney, you know, I'm like, huh, how are you doing this? And I've met his mom and he's like, he, he's like, I could go home and live on my mountain whenever I want. He's like, I can survive anywhere doing anything. My elders asked me to do this. I'm doing it. And I keep telling him, why don't we do this? He's like, I can't do it without community. And we don't have a big enough or strong enough community. And I think it's a lot of, because it's just, it's so, it's so out there. It's so, it's something that we, it's just so out there, you know, that people just can't handle it. But also people are so in their own nine to five survival mode that they don't have time to participate. They don't have the time to do all those things. And we spoke at the Parliament of World Religions to other Native Americans, to religious people. We we were at um, Washington DC at the, at the Lincoln Memorial, talking about these things, talking about balloons in space, it, with all these people talking about ETs and he was with Clifford Mahoudi as well. Nobody came up and talked to him. And this is people who are supposed to be interested in stuff. And I know three other Native Americans and they all say the same thing. One Zuni, one Mayan and one Mi'kmaq. Well, now I know two Mi'kmaq now. They all say the same thing. And they say that they're here and that we're not the big and bad. And the thing is that you're a very violent species. And you're not together. And what I do know about the indigenous cultures and studying with him, he wants to do teas all the time. And he said, this is the thing my elders taught me. You need teas. And teas stands for time, earth, air, and space. You sit in a circle and it seems like a therapy circle. I didn't understand it at first. But the idea is that everybody in the circle is a teacher. There are no students. And everybody's voice is equal. And it goes one way and it goes the other way. And you are in a resonance of kindness, compassion, happiness, no matter what. The belief, all beliefs are welcome. All religions, all beliefs, all sizes, all shapes, everybody is welcome. And then I thought about it. If the indigenous people had contact, which their stories say they did, all of them that I've talked to personally, I don't know about everyone, but the ones that I've talked to personally said, yeah, it's not a fantastic thing to them. It's not like, oh, right. But the media for the non-natives, it's like this very fantastic idea. For them, it's very grounding and, and they know that. But sitting in a circle in peace is like the missing element. You know, we're, we're not doing that. that. And that's all it is. Like, so all people are welcome. And, and so, yeah, I could get off on a tangent there, but there's also been with him. I've had probably two or three other paranormal experiences. They, he's like, he'll never say, he'll never say it. He'll never make it obvious. He'll never, he'll just talk about kindness and compassion. Um, but over time, if you're with him enough, you, you kind of notice some anomalies. And uh, it's a very fascinating thing. And I read a book called Mad Bear, and uh, the guy who was in that book is going to come on as well, but it's another Native American guy. And the guy who followed him around, kind of like I was learning from David, very same thing. Like he was, you know, when you're with him, he's very fun and he, he's good and he has these interesting teachings. But every now and then some sort of weird paranormal thing will happen. Um, and it is a very similar thread. But what they're both trying to share is you guys need to be peaceful. You guys need to work together. You know, and if in an alien species or an extraterrestrial species, what would they say to us? They'd say, stop killing each other be peaceful. And so how do we do that? I don't know, but I think we need to have that conversation more often. I think we need to stop making world peace optional. I think we need to stop looking at all these ways to gain different things and, and acquire more and start thinking about other people, about what we do and how it affects them. And even if it's in our little bubble for now, just having that idea and looking for people who are thinking the same way and actually ready to take an action. Who's talking about world peace? I want to know. 
right? Who, who's making an effort that way? That guy is like cleaning the ocean. That's great. I'll support that guy. Where are the guys trying to build solutions? The problem is there's not a lot of profit in there and we need more people actually taking action. Yeah. What has David taught you about electromagnetic effects of this very simple three acts of kindness thing that we started our conversation with? Oh man, that's a great question. Well, it's so interesting. So the thing is, I don't know what the hell he's talking about half the time because I'm not a friggin' scientist. But he gave me an hour lecture about how the three acts of kindness was the high, was the quickest way for a higher consciousness. Because I asked him, how do I get the higher consciousness? How do I get these superpowers? How do I get all this? I've asked him all those questions. And he said, number one, you get the higher consciousness together. I had to look up all of these things and I have to relook them up because I'm not an uh, electrical engineer, but it was basically like a node, a breaker, I think. And it was all this electrical engineering stuff. So I'm doing that. He's like, a human is one maybe node or something. But when you have like 20 or 30 of you, you can have a much bigger current of energy. That's source energy. It's a, he's like, this is engineering. He's like, this is, and he actually talks about all the time. He's like, talked about gravity and time. He's like, we've already solved for gravity and time. And you look at the Tic Tac incident and you look at Joe Rogan and Lieutenant Fravor. Tell me that guy's full of baloney. That guy's a friggin' military general. You know, he is not, he's a no nonsense guy, but most of the UFO stuff out there is, is a lot of nonsense. There's some truth in there, but you got to research that it's a lot of hype and nonsense. And uh, what him and Clifford call it, um, it's just media. It's, it's entertainment. That's what it is. They call it entertainment. And that's why Clifford is out there talking now, the Zuni other. He's like, you guys are saying so much nonsense. It's important that I got to share this. And when Clifford started sharing, a lot of the Zuni culture were upset with him because this is their sacred history. You know, so this is a very big thing for these guys to be sharing it. But um, so the Tic Tac incident, he's like, they, those things can move at a speed and then make a hard right turn. And David's like, that's not breaking the laws of physics if you know how it works. So a lot he, he'll talk about is the electrical engineering. And one of the things he said in the past is like, you have two spirit guides, a positive and a negative. And he's like, not to be mistaken with the good and bad because your body is the ground in the simulation. I was like, what? And I had a one day, I think it was last year, I had Tom Campbell come on, do three hours on how we're living in a simulation. And mm-hmm. David Lonebear, come on, give me two, two and a half, three hours of how we're in a simulation. Wow. Oh my God, my brain hurts so much, but it has to do with electrical engineering. And I can't remember what he said, but basically it's like you need to take the action. When you do the action of kindness, right? You're, you're creating like, just like with lifting weights, you could think about lifting a weight or you could engage the muscle. It creates a reaction, something you get a response. So in doing that and not telling anybody you're, you're doing three physical actions that are kind, that are creating an energy. But then when you go and say, Oh, I did this today. I did that today. I did this today. You then throw away the energy. Now it's gone because now you're doing it for ego and you're bragging. And so I think that these things happen over time. I think it's not a quick fix. And what, what I always say at the end of my podcast is I, I invite you to take the kindness challenge, do three kind acts today, go out of your way to do it. Don't tell anybody and do it for a week. So many people have reached out saying, and I say, you're going to get a universal wink. Something weird will happen. Like this, the universe, just for you to know. And you're just like, what? You know? And it's like, that's the wink. It's like, that's the track. And that's why it's so simple. People don't want to do it. So it's like, what's my life purpose? How do I get aligned? What do you like? Journal who you are. What's important to you? What are your values? What do you want to learn? What would you do if money were no object? Okay. Now guess what? In this video game, in this simulation or whatever, in this life experience, 
Now you get to solve it here. And is it going to be easy? No, it's a challenging game, but you are capable. And that spiritual force, that God, that nature is on your side, but you need to take action. And are you going to hit hard times? A hundred percent. Are you going to fail? A hundred percent. But you can do it and you're going to keep going. Just make it meaningful for you. And if you're saying, you know what? I don't want to engage in that. I want to gauge in default. I want to gauge in safety. I want to be pacified. I want to sit down and do nothing. You can do that. It's just not as inspiring. We need more people to, you know, really just find themselves, you know, and have the courage to move forward. And as they do that, more people are going to get connected and we're going to have more momentum moving in that way. And we're also going to set a better example for the kids coming up. Why do we do three? Is there some secret encoding with the number three or that creates a ripple? Maybe if we're kind to one person, then they are inclined to want to pay it forward and that maybe exponentially multiplies. Is there any secret sauce to the three? There could be. Uh, he is a mathematician and so math doesn't lie, right? Math is just right or wrong. And one of the people that I wanted to vet him with is my friend Robert Grant. Look up yeah. Robert Grant. This guy is mind-blowing as well. He's made these huge mathematical breakthroughs. I've watched him and David talk about math. And I said, Robert, if this guy's baloney, please tell me. And Robert explained to him, because Robert has just made huge mathematical breakthroughs, massive. I don't know if I can share where he was, but he was he had to go basically to the military to say, hey, like this is a big deal, <laughs> you know? And so he's made huge discoveries. And he described something to David, and I watched the conversation about uh, he's like, the last thing we need to solve for is gravity and time. That's what, after Robert goes through this whole thing, I'm looking at his journal and he's got fractal squares on fractal squares. And if you look at his Instagram, you'll see some of the stuff. David looks at him. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I know some of that. And he's, and then he basically started doing the same thing within a triangle and is always doing this math that I have no idea what he's doing. But he said that his elders taught him a different form of math and his math, they don't use uh, 10. He's like, those are imaginary numbers. It's one to nine, I think. And so Usually there's always a reason for the number, right? And he also, when we do anything with the star teachings and what he was taught, and that was what the Mi'kmaq were taught back in the day, that's their history, the star teachings, is you always go with three people because if it's two people, then it becomes a devil, right? There's a positive and a negative. So you're going to think you're positive. You're going to think you're positive, but there's a positive and negative. There has to be. But when there's a third one, there's a neutral. And that way the energy can move in a circle. So there's probably a reason. There's always, everything that I says is very deliberate that I've found. So there probably is, yeah. Ooh. Man, I could talk with you for uh, <laughs> days and days. But luckily you've archived many days, months, years of powerful, life-changing conversations on your podcast. You guys, if you, this conversation has piqued your interest, you've got to check out Matt Belair's podcast. It's called Mastermind Body Spirit. So many amazing guests there. So my second to last question is, after talking to hundreds of these next level amazing humans, can you give us some advice about discernment? Like where's the bullshit and where's the real deal? Because I can speak from personal experience that there are some people who are really engaging and dynamic speakers, but then behind the stage, they don't always behave the same as they seem on stage, if you know what I mean. And then some people, they're just, you see them behind the stage and, and you, you follow them for years. Behind the scenes, you see that they're always in integrity in their words and action. And to me, that is like the ultimate superpower, the ultimate superhuman who can consistently live their values like that. But I've 
bumped into some teachers that aren't always like that behind the scenes. And you see on the news, all these like false gurus that it turns out behind the scenes, they're like running sex trafficking rings and stuff like this, right? So what advice do you have for us to discern whose stuff is real, who to follow, who to listen to, and who not to? That is a really great question, and I am currently within that now because it's so challenging. My my podcast will go in self-help, spirituality, but also paranormal, ancient civilizations, all these different things because I'm curious what is happening on the planet, and I try to find those experts the best that I can. So I'm getting emails all, all the time of this and that and channeling and, and all, all the different things. It's It's confusing, so there's no way around that. One of the things that is helpful is how old are they? How many, you know, where did all these experts come from between 15 and 25? I should, you know, I'm only 35 and I've been doing this as long as I remember. I made this way. I'm just curious about it. And I really don't know that much. I know I know a little bit of a little bit. I actually don't know that much. So in indigenous cultures and even in other cultures, there's a lot of respect given to elders. You know, how long have they been doing it? How many books have they read? How long have they um, been doing what they're doing? Right. So that's one thing I think it's we should be respecting our elders. We should be looking at people who've done it a long time and and are in it. And then look at just how they live their life. What are they like? Look at what they're writing. You know, is it grounded? Is it practical? A lot of the time when somebody will want to come on my podcast, I just look at what they write. And then I also look at how they're making their living. I don't, I don't have a judgment about how they're making their living. Um, but you know, it's, it's important to know, you know, are they giving back? Is it, you know, where do they come from? Just do a little bit of research uh, about that person and you know what they do and, and what they enjoy and what they say and, and you'll kind of get a sense, but you're also probably going to get it wrong too sometimes. And that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. And there's, there's different teachers for different sections, different levels. And so you can, and you can also be easy on your teacher because they're probably human. Right. You know, the Dalai Lama might be as close to what I know right now. That's kicking butt. But I was like, I remember on one podcast, uh, I was like, oh, man. Yeah. I was like, for all I know, Mother Teresa won't be legit one day. And I just found out some stuff about Mother Teresa not being legit at all. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, son of a gun. You know what I mean? It got me. So, you know, there's there's good things being forward. So be easy on them. But remember that you're the master, too. That's the important thing is that you're going to take in this information I like Bruce Lee's analogies, take what works for you and disregard the rest. So if I show a technique, a martial arts technique to a 300 pound overweight guy, it might not be as useful to a 140 pound stick guy. Right. And so, and try not to take it all as like faith and recommendation, because if you just read five books on Zen, five books on personal development, five books on neurology, you're going to be able to kind of cert, you know, surf through and, and discern that. So it's going to take you a little time as well. I recently interviewed Jasmine Heen, who's this, uh, she's this amazing teacher that's been, I think she's written 42 books and she's been, um, most of her students are people that have been meditating 40 years. She's like the teacher of like very advanced students. And I asked her a similar question about discernment. And she says, she says, look, in, when you're in the beginning stages of your path, you have a lot to learn from everybody. But in the final blossoming you have to be willing to let go. And she made this analogy of like, let's, I can't remember which flower. She was like, let's say I'm a yellow daisy and my teacher's a yellow sunflower. In the final blossoming, we have to do it differently. So you have to recognize that you're at that stage to go within yourself and do it on your own at some point. That is not that other people's teachings aren't 
correct for somebody, but at some point you have to go within yourself and find those inner answers. Yeah, I really like that. I think it's really important to put that ownership on yourself. If you want to grow, if you want to know, quote unquote, God or spirit, ask that within yourself because you're the only one who can experience it. You have to be that source. You can't, when we were at the Parliament of World Religions, I was thinking about it because there's over 230 religions represented. And I was like, well, if you brought in, uh, you know, a newborn baby or you brought in uh, an ET, how do you pick which one's right? They're all trying to go to the same spot, right? It's a little bit of an absurd thing. And David used the phrase that you don't need a broker to God. You don't need me. You don't need anyone else. You are connected to that source automatically. So put the onus on yourself to be your own master, to be your own teacher. And because even these teachers, they don't know that much, right? If you're thinking, listen to me and you think I know my, I don't know anything at all. You know what I mean? I'm going to go out and do something stupid in 20 minutes. (laughs) So, but I'll learn from that. And if I'm open to learning from that and, and growing, but engage in the processes that make sense for you. I've spent uh, weeks in meditation. I meditated a, an hour a day for like a year. I know people have meditated like crazy. I know people who haven't meditated. I know all the different um, things, but what it seems like is over, like you talked about integrity over a long period, whatever you're doing, right? So meditation might be your path. It might be art. You might, you know, connect to spirit through art, through your own way. So use these teachers, but make sure that the onus is on you to experience that. And through meditation and doing some of these other practices, I've had really profound, earth-shattering, divine experiences. But they were always just little blips that said, keep going, right? This is this is a nice shine. It's like you're running this the hardest triathlon of your whole life. And then all of a sudden, you just like feel good for a second. And you're like, oh, hey, universe. Like, oh, man, you're doing good. But you got to get back in that crap right now. It's like, I don't want to go back into that. It sucks. You're like, yeah, I know. Sorry, bro. But you're doing it. Keep going. Like, duh. And so you in it and then you're like all right you got like a little bit of inspiration to keep going because that little it's it's subtle that's what i've learned and i give a random story to to kind of share this so i was doing the candle meditation on one of my podcasts is that david how do we you know see through the veil of this illusion he goes get a candle um get a dark room and um uh, light it and look at the blue flame uh you may see a little bit of like weird fuzziness on the side. He's like, that might be your spirit guides. Don't look at them. Um, just let them be. I was like, okay, I'll give this a try. So I grabbed the candle. I'm downstairs and I try all of it. I did, I did like two summers ago, uh, 1200 breaths that were three to five minutes long. It took me all summer. I get into it and I test it. It's supposed to upgrade my consciousness. I don't know if it did, but I'm telling you, I get this stuff. I'll let you know if it worked for me or not. So I'm going to try the candle thing. And so trying the candle thing and I go, I make a prayer and I say, spirit, you know, just show me, uh, give me a sign that, um, you know, this is a useful practice for my growth. And uh, I light the candle and, and two seconds later, this ant comes walking in and then it starts circling the candle. And immediately I go, the universe, this isn't the sign. Get this stupid ant out of here, right? He's circling the thing. I do it for like 50, this thing is circling. It's going up the candle. It's going down the candle. It's circling and circling and circling. And the whole time I'm like, this isn't the universal sign. Get out of here, ant. An hour later, I'm like, that's what it was. It was the ant. What kind of ant circles a candle up and down and up and down? He just was circling the candle for 20 minutes, going up the candle, going down the candle and doing circles. I've never seen the ant do that in my life. And the message and the realization was that the communication from spirit is subtle. It is little tiny impulses. But over time, when you follow those little impulses and those little knowings, you know, right? But they're subtle. It's not like 
you know, I'm expecting the spirit guide to come in in a multidimensional form and say, Matt, this practice is something that you should do and it is good for you. You know what I mean? It's like, that's what I wanted. And that's sometimes I think that's what we want is spirit to communicate in that way. But it's those subtle things. It's those subtle impulses. And with that action, you're going to get a response. And the other thing that I'll share is in the Aquarian gospel or no, Jesus and the Essenes, and the Essenes were supposed to be like ascended beings that people that knew Jesus was coming. They said, there's three ways to know God. One is through nature. I love that way. And I know a friend who's had very powerful experiences just by putting his butt in nature. If you met him, he'd be like the least spiritual guy you'd ever think in your life. But he's told me some pretty wild stories. And I was like, how did you figure that out, bro? He's like, dude, I just sit in nature all the time. And he does. It's incredible how much time that guy spends in nature. Two, you can do it through study. So read all the religious texts, read everything that you can, see what you think. And three is by going in. And four is a guide. Four is a master teacher. So three is going in, keep going in, keep going in, keep going in and make that a part of your practice. Hope that was helpful. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, in the parent world of time and space, I know you're a busy guy and I also have to go pick up my little boy from school. That was such an epic conversation. How can we continue to follow your work and follow this amazing adventure that you're on? Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And what I'd first like to say is thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for who you are. You're such an amazing human being. And I invite all of your audience to support you in all the ways. Buy your book, share it, autograph it, support. Edith, there's a tremendous amount of work to do this. And you're amazing. You've been on my show and you're such a fantastic guest. And it's been a privilege and honor to know you and look at what you're doing. You uh, help when you feel alone. You know, I'm like Edith is out there kicking butt. So um, I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you. And if you want to follow my work, you can go to mattbelair.com. The podcast is there. Please leave a review on both our shows. They help immensely uh, share episodes that you like. And you could also go to zenathlete.com. And what I'll say too is if you go to mattbelair.com forward slash masters dash of dash flow, you can get the heart journey meditation that I was talking about as well as the Zen athlete book for free. It's the ebook. And you know, when I spoke about it earlier, it's really about finding a heart centered mission and that's what the heart journey is for. But then you have to do the daily visualization, whether you want to land the world's first trick that's never been done. That has to be a mandatory process. That visualization. If you get a terminal illness and you're looking how to heal yourself, you have to go in and you need to know how to go to this space. So it doesn't matter what you put into that space. You look at any of Dr. Joe's Dispenza's work. That's basically what he's saying. You got to get clear in the vision, go into that space, and it's going to accelerate the process. And if you can go through the process of the work, of the training, of the trials, of the tribulations, of the pain in the ass, and all the stuff you got to go through with grace and appreciation, it's going to make the process faster. But if you don't give up, you're going to get to the goal. It might take you a while. So try to enjoy the process as much as you can. And that takes time, but you'll, you'll get there. Okay. So you guys, I'm going to put all the resource links in the show notes. So don't stress about writing it down. You can just scroll below and see the show notes and you're starting a online program soon. Yeah, so I'm going to do the premium membership. And so I have a lot of guests giving me awesome little tidbits of conversations. And I'm going to put in some training there and I'm going to create some courses. So by the time this is released, there'll be at least the beta version up. Because there's a lot of courses I want to do. I'm going to have to get feedback from the audience, whether they want it all in one or each course at a time, because there's so many things that I want to educate on from meditation, law of attraction, mindfulness, and, and take all of that as like, what's the best thing that works and make it simple, make it effective so that they can apply it. Okay, awesome. All right, the very last question, maybe the most important question of all. This show is about exploring and breaking through to the frontiers of our human possibilities. 
you've had an amazing life, 35 years of epic adventures, and you've studied so deeply with so many world pioneers. If you were to simply distill it down to one single thing, what is the single most important piece of advice you have for us to step into that next level of human possibilities? It's a fantastic question. If I were going to go back in time and talk to myself, I would say follow your passion. Whatever you want to learn more about, whatever you would do for free, whatever inspires you, keep doing that over time and you're going to have to persevere. That's going to be the other part. You're going to have to endure, keep persevering, go through, but just follow the things that light you up. Those, those things, that's what spirit is. It's the things that bring you joy. That's what makes you uniquely you. So whatever you're curious about learning, whatever you're passionate about, keep doing that, get good at that, perfect that, learn more about that and keep moving forward over time and then engage in the universe and ask how you can do this more, how you can share more, how you can um, make that a living, how whatever the case is, because what will happen is that will modify over time. But as it modifies, you're modifying what inspires you. So then over one year, over five years, over 10 years, over a lifetime, you've lived an inspired life. You haven't gone secure, 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 so that at one day you're going to do one inspired thing. It's that little itty bitty inspiration over time that changes, that adapts, that grows with your skills, with your abilities and who you uniquely are. Wow, what an end <laughs> to this amazing conversation. You know, I, I knew this was going to be an incredible podcast. It wasn't very well planned and it turned into a beautiful flow of so many empowering, life-changing truths that I think that if we just took time to really dive deep into any one portion of this conversation and put it into consistent practice in our life, absolutely game-changing and world-changing stuff that we covered today. So. Thank you so, so much for your heart, for your service, for, you know, you, you're a very eloquent teacher and speaker and sharer of truth. But most importantly, we can see through your action, you know, how you've chosen to live your life. And I can speak from personal experience. Every podcast is about a 10-hour labor of love to get the guests into the show and research them, have these beautiful conversations, clean it up, edit it, upload it, share it on social media. And, you know, some people do different kinds of volunteer service. To me, you've really given of your life by sharing this empowering knowledge so consistently over so many years. Thank you so, so much for the example that you showed to us of a new possibility, Matt. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that coming from you. Thank you so much. Bye. See you guys. <laughs> Hi, friends. Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, DrEdithUbuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.